Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you know anything about me, I love the Lord's return. I really do. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching on heavenly homecoming, heavenly homecoming. And we want to begin by reading this. You may remain seated as I read this portion from God's Word. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's bow in prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that we've already experienced. Thank you for the worship that has Risen up into your presence, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased and it would be a sweet-smelling fragrance to you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would just take away from us any, any thoughts that might distract us from hearing your truth today. And Lord, I pray that as we think about this heavenly homecoming, we will realize, Lord, how real it is. What a reality it is, and that we will be a big part of that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. Well, welcome to Homecoming 2019 as we celebrate our church's 235th church anniversary. Man, uh, that's been a long time, hasn't it? So happy happy birthday, Wasmasaw Baptist. You know, this old gospel ship we call Wasmasaw Baptist has sailed through many stormy seas in its long history. But by the grace of God, she is still sailing strong, holding high the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, our founding fathers who planted this church in what was then a swampy wilderness would not be able to imagine the change that has taken place in recent years. Our community is rapidly changing, and so is our church. But there's one thing that has not changed. We're still family. We're still family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, united in love and purpose and vision, committed in reaching our world for Jesus and discipling them one person at a time. Did you know that 80 people are moving into the greater Charleston area every day? 80 people. That's 560 a week. That's a lot of people. And, you know, we we look around and say, where in the world are they coming from? I don't know. But they're coming to us by the hundreds. And God is placing them right at our doorstep. 
Just imagine that. Right at our doorstep. Many of them are lost without Jesus. They, they might have religion. They might have some churchianity, religiosity, but they don't have Christ. They have no hope of heaven, no hope of eternal life. And they need Jesus. And the good news is we have who they need. And if we don't reach them, then who will? If we don't teach them, who will? If we don't show them the love of Jesus Christ, then who will? I do know this. We are going to have to give an account to God for the souls he puts in our path. I believe that with all my heart. God planted our church in this community 235 years ago for such a time as this. Now, our founding fathers, they didn't see what is happening today, but our God certainly did. And I doubt very seriously that our church will be around another 235 years because I personally believe that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. But let's be faithful until he comes again. Let's be faithful. Homecoming is a time to reflect on our past. And I want us to do that. It's also a time to rejoice in our present, what God is doing in the here and now, right now. But it's also a time to anticipate the future. And folks, I believe that our best days are still ahead of us. I really do. Soon we will be worshiping in our new church building. And we look forward to that. We really do. As your pastor, I, I'm so thankful for those of you who have worked so hard to complete this project. And I'm thankful to those of you who are giving sacrificially to our Grow campaign. And you know, wouldn't it be a tremendous testimony to God if this church building was paid for before we even move in? Amen. You say, Pastor, you're nuts. <laughs> That's an impossibility. Yeah, I agree for man it is, but not for God, Amen. not with our God. Amen. The Bible says that our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. So when you pray for what's being built over there, pray for God to be glorified, for his name to be glorified in all of this. I've said from the very beginning, it's not about a building. It's not about a building. It never has been about a building. It's about reaching a community for Jesus and teaching them about Jesus Christ. After our homecoming dinner, uh, you're welcome to walk over there and see the progress so far. Just let me remind you, it is a construction site, so be, be careful. But Mike Cable said he was going to have the, the door unlocked, and he will be over there to take anyone through if you would like to see what God is doing over there, and I encourage you to do so. So um, let's enjoy this Homecoming Day celebration. Let's enjoy it. But I want you to know that the greatest homecoming... <laughs> day is still yet to come. And that's going to be a heavenly homecoming. When Jesus Christ comes again, it's going to be a homecoming in the sky. It's going to take place when Jesus returns at the rapture to gather his family together in heaven. And what a wonderful day that's going to be. God's family, just think, God's family, God's entire family is going to be together again, never, ever, ever to be 
separated again. You know, there's a lot of churches today that don't believe it and don't preach it. But the Bible says it's not an option. The Bible tells, we, tells us we must believe in the Lord's return. We must preach the Lord's return. In our text today, Paul gives us a couple of reasons why we must preach the return of Jesus Christ. And the first reason is we need to be informed. We need to be informed. That's what Paul says in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. Just look at the word uninformed just for a minute. It's the word from which we get our word agnostic. And that word means, I don't know. (laughs) That's what it means. I don't know. An agnostic person is a person who says, I don't know. And, And there's a lot of agnostics uh, in the church today they don't know they don't know anything about the return of jesus christ you ask him do you believe that jesus is coming again they say i don't know could be i don't know you can't know for sure You, you certainly can't be dogmatic about that i don't know well do you know why they don't know about Jesus' return i'm talking about those within the church Because they haven't been taught it. They haven't been taught it. Many have gone to church all their lives. I mean, Sunday after Sunday. Sunday school, worship. They've heard sermon after sermon. But they haven't heard anything, any preaching on the return of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that is an indictment against many preachers today. And I believe they're going to have to answer to God for it. You know, I've been a preacher now for, wow, 40-some-odd years. And I know this about preachers. A preacher will preach what he believes. If, If a preacher believes in the deity of Christ, he'll preach it. If he believes in the virgin birth, he'll preach it. If he believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will preach it. And if he believes in the return of Jesus Christ, he will preach it. If he doesn't, then he won't do it. And sadly to say, there are just too many preachers who stand behind the sacred desk of the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, and they don't preach that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And they don't preach it because they don't believe it. And shame on any preacher who does not preach the whole counsel of God's Word. The whole counsel of God's Word. Don't you see, my friend, the return of Jesus Christ is, is not something you can take or leave. It's one of the essentials of the Christian faith. It's not a take or leave doctrine. It's a fundamental doctrine of our Christian faith. History says, look back. Science says, just look, look around you. Psychology says, look within. But you know, the Bible says, look up, because Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's coming. He's coming. I'm sure you've heard it said, um, what you don't know can't hurt you. That's just not true. <laughs> That's just not true. You know, if you don't know Jesus is coming back again, I promise you it's going to hurt you. Because uh, if you're lost, 
you certainly aren't going to be ready for his coming. And the Bible says that you're going to be left behind when Jesus Christ comes back again. But there's a second reason. We must believe and we must preach the return of Jesus Christ is it's because we need to be encouraged. We really need to be encouraged. Paul says in verse 18, there at the very end of our passage, encourage one another with these words. What words is he talking about? He's talking about the return of Jesus. He's talking about his teaching on the return of Jesus. There isn't a doctrine, and, and simply, the word doctrine simply means teaching. There's not a doctrine in the Bible more encouraging to believers than the return of Jesus Christ. I was once um, teaching a, a class on the second coming to a group of ladies in one of our former churches. And one of the ladies came up after the class and she said, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I won't be back. Because all this, all this teaching about Jesus coming back again scares me to death. I said, really? She said, yes. And I asked her, I said, are you saved? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you are saved, you have nothing to fear. But if you're not saved, you have much to fear. You see, the return of Jesus Christ is a fearful thing to those who don't know the Lord. Because it means they're going to they're going to have to stand before a judge. But my friend, it's a great encouragement to those who know Jesus. A great encouragement. Let me tell you how encouraging it is. The return of Jesus encourages us to be optimistic in a world that's filled with negativity. Do you realize that there's, there's negativity everywhere you turn? There's bad news wherever you turn. You open up the newspaper, bad news. You turn on the TV and watch the evening news, and it's bad news. But if you open up the Bible, it's good news. It's good news. That's why we need to be in the Word. And that's what our world needs to hear. Good news for a change. It also encourages us to be evangelistic in a world that's lost and headed to hell. It encourages us to reach out to our relatives, our neighbors, you know, our friends in our community, at our school, who need to hear the gospel before it's eternally too late. And let me just ask you, how's it going with your one over here? The one that you picked out to pray for to have a gospel conversation with, to be able to share how Jesus saved you and how he can save them. And it also encourages us to work hard for Jesus while there is still time to work because the day is coming that we're going to let down our labor. We're going to put it all down. It's going to be over. This is the time to serve Jesus Christ. Now, going back to our passage our passage tells us that there's going to be a sequence of events that will surround the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's going to be four. There's going to be a return. Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a resurrection of dead Christians. There's going to be a rapture of living Christians. And then there's going to be, well, 
that great homecoming in the sky, that reunion of the family of God. Let's look at these events. First, the return of the Savior. Notice what Paul says in verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Now, I believe it was old Ben Franklin who said that there is nothing certain in life except death and taxes. Well, that's not quite true. Because if you know Christ, if you, if you have a personal relationship with him, if you receive him as your Savior, then, then if he returns in your lifetime, guess what? You will never die. You will never die. So um, death is not a given for the Christian if you're living when Jesus Christ returns. So there's going to be a generation of Christians who never see death who never die. And that has been the blessed hope of Christians through the centuries, that, that they might be among that last terminal generation of Christians that will never die. The only really certain thing in life is Jesus. He's coming back again. There are over 1,500 prophecies of the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are more prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ than his first coming. You know, I love that story about his ascension. You know, it was just before uh, Jesus went back to heaven, 40 days after his resurrection. He was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and it could have been 500 brethren watching as well. And as the disciples were watching, Jesus just went up, 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 into heaven till he disappeared from their side. And two angels appeared to them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus will return in the same way he left. Jesus is coming back again. Once an atheist approached Fanny Crosby, and if you know anything about Fanny Crosby, she was that great Methodist hymn writer, also was blind at birth. And this atheist approached Fanny Closby, realized who she was, and he said to her in a very sarcastic tone, you old blind woman, how will you know it's Jesus when you come into his presence if indeed he does come again? That very night she went into a room and she penned that beautiful hymn, I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of nails in his hands. Well, see, my friend, the same Jesus that went up to heaven is going to come back again. Well, how do we know for sure that Jesus is coming again? Well, well, Paul tells us we have the work of the Savior here. Look at verse 14. We have the work of the Savior. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice he talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, do you see Paul's argument? The death and resurrection of Jesus guarantees his return. It also guarantees our resurrection. But Paul points out the fact that it guarantees his return. Since Jesus died and rose again, we can be assured that Jesus is coming again. But he gives us a second reason we can know for sure. And he says we have the word of the Savior. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. 
We ask, where did Paul get his teaching on the Lord's return? Did he think it up? Did he dream it? Did he get it from one of the other apostles? Where did he get it from? He got it directly from the Lord Jesus himself. You know, it was Jesus who said in John 14, 3, I will come again. Now, that's a promise, folks. That's a promise as real as John three sixteen. You know the context. They were in the upper room, and, and the disciples were despondent. They were, they, they were going nuts because they, they just didn't understand what was happening because Jesus said he's going to be leaving them. And he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And when I prepare that place, I will come again. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about his return there. He says, I will come again. That's a promise, my friend. In Jesus' Olivet Discourse, Jesus spoke of his return. In many of his parables, Jesus spoke of being ready for his coming. Be ready for his coming. Heard the story of a father and his little girl who were swimming in the ocean. And before they knew it, a riptide had dragged them way out into deep water. And the father knew there was no way he could swim his daughter back to shore. So he said to his little girl, he says, honey, you're an excellent swimmer. You can float on your back all day long. This is what I want you to do. I want you to float on your back. I'm going to leave you. I'm going, I'm going for help. But I'm coming right back. Well, the father struggled to get the shore. Finally, he made it. He got help. A rescue boat was sent out looking for the little girl. They searched for hours. And finally, they saw a, a little body floating on the water. And there she was, still floating on her back, calm as she could be. And the rescuer said to the little girl, Weren't you afraid? Why should I be afraid? The little girl replied, the father promised that he was coming back. My friend, Jesus promised that he's coming for us again. Oh, if you believe he came the first time, you must believe that he's going to come a second time. Do you believe that? Are you looking for him? I had a professor in seminary who, who said that every morning he gets up, the first words that come out of his mouth is, Jesus, could it be today? Could it be today? Oh, that's living in light of the Lord's return. Are you ready for his return? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? As a Christian, are you ready for his return? Are you living a life in keeping with the gospel of Christ? Are you ready for his return? Paul says there are three, there are three sounds that will accompany the return of Jesus. First, a command to get up. Verse 16, with the cry of command. The word cry literally means a shout of command. It was used of a commanding general shouting orders to his soldiers. Well, at the Lord's return, Jesus will shout a command for all of his people to get up out of the grave. Three times in the New Testament, we were told that Jesus shouted, and each time, a resurrection resulted. 
The first time was at the, at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. He had been dead four days, if you remember. Four days he has, he has been dead. And, and the disciples and Jesus finally got there and, and he said, take me to the tomb. And they said, no, by this time there's an odor. You can't go. He says, take me to the tomb. And, and Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and he cried out, Lazarus come forth. And instantly Lazarus, who had been dead four days, came out of the grave, out of the tomb. The second time was on the cross. If you remember, Jesus cried, it is finished. It is finished. Salvations, salvations, sacrifice has been made. And the Bible says the graves were open and many dead bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Well, the third time is still future. (laughs) It will be at his return. Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout and all the dead in Christ will rise. Do you remember those old Tarzan movies? Tarzan movies? I'm not talking about these new ones, man. I'm talking about the old ones. And I used to get up on Saturday morning real early to watch some of those shows. Old Tarzan, he would come swinging on the vines from tree to tree. And and then he would beat his chest and let out a giant shout. I wish I could do it. I'd do it if I could. And every wild beast in the jungle would run out to meet him. Well, my friend, at Jesus' return, he's going to let out a shout, okay? And all the dead in Christ will hear it and will come out of their graves to meet him in the air. Oh, Jesus said in John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and an now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What will that shout be? Oh, it will be a command to get up. Get out of that grave. Can you imagine what our cemetery is going to look like on resurrection day? Can you imagine what it's going to look like? And then secondly, a cry to give up with the voice of the archangel. With the voice of the archangel. Verse 16. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. He is supernatural. No question about it. And the atmospheric heaven is his domain. And that's exactly where the rapture is going to take place. It's going to happen in the air. Satan's backyard. His home turf. So Satan is going to be present when it happens. He's going to be there to try to prevent it. But Michael, the archangel, is going to be there too. And he's going to be there to make sure that Satan is not able to prevent it. On that day, Michael, the archangel, is going to cry out to Satan, Devil, give up! Get out of the way! Jesus is coming for his people. And then thirdly, the third sound is a call to Go up. Verse 16, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The trumpet is going to sound. We've already sung about it, folks. It's not only in the Bible. It's all through our hymn books and our songs of praise. 
Every military man understands the trumpet call. When the trumpet sounds, it's time for the army to strike tent and march on. Well, when Jesus returns, when the trumpet sounds, God's people will march up, up, and away to meet the Lord in the air. Oh, yes, there's going to be the return of the Savior. Secondly, there's going to be the resurrection of dead believers. Again, verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus will shout, get up, and the graves of God's people everywhere will break open, and the dead in Christ will be raised with glorified bodies. What will those glorified bodies be like? Well, the Bible kind of gives us hints so that we can understand. 1 John 3, 2 says, we shall be like him. We will be like him in his glorified humanity, not his deity, in his glorified humanity. And then Paul also says in Philippians 3.21 that Christ will transform, that means change, our lowly bodies, these bodies that we have right now, to be like his glorious body. So just to put it simply, our resurrected body is going to be much like our Lord's glorified human body what was jesus's resurrection body like well it was similar to his earthly body people could recognize him people could touch him they could eat together but it was also different from his earthly body it was eternal it was not limited by time and space Jesus could walk right through a wall. He could appear and disappear. So our body, our glorified body, is going to be very much like our Lord's glorified body. Oh, we're going to see each other in heaven, and we're going to say, man, you've never looked that good. Man, you look good. What a day that's going to be. Return, resurrection, and then rapture. The rapture of living believers. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Okay, the dead are raised, and then the living believers are raptured. And it says we're going to be caught up. That word simply means to be snatched up quickly. That's what rapture means. If you're living at the return of Jesus Christ... Your body, my body, is going to be changed and transformed into a new glorified, resurrected body without dying. You know, it's amazing. People spend hundreds and even thousands of dollars on makeovers, facelifts, body lifts, trying to look younger. But you know what? Age always wins out. But in the rapture, It's going to be an ultimate makeover, an ultimate makeover. God is going to give us a new, perfect, glorified, eternal body on that day that will never, ever die. Jesus is going to cry out, come up here, and we're going to be instantly changed. But there's one other thing, reunion, the reunion of the family of God. It says it so clearly in verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so shall we always be with the Lord. See, God's family is going to be gathered together at the rapture, never to be separated again. It's going to be a heavenly homecoming. It's going to be the longest homecoming because uh, it's going to never end. (laughs) It's going to be the most beautiful homecoming because it's going to take place within the pearly gates of heaven. It's going to be the happiest homecoming because the shouts of the saints will be heard from one end to heaven to the other. And guess what? There's going to be plenty of food because we're going to eat. Listen, we're going to eat together the marriage supper of the Lamb. And by the way, it says marriage supper, not dinner. Okay, everybody gets that? It's the marriage supper of the lamb. Plenty of fried chicken and roast beef and, and you know, potato salad. It, it's going to be glorious as we enjoy one another in heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. What's going to make heaven heaven more than anything? Jesus is going to be there. It says when we see Jesus. Yes, we'll see one another. Yes, we will have, we'll be reunited with our, our, our Christian loved ones. But what will make heaven heaven is that Jesus is going to be there and we will fall at his feet and worship and love. It's going to be glory. It's going to be a hallelujah time, this heavenly homecoming. But there's one thing we need to understand, and please, please hear me out. This heavenly homecoming is by invitation only. You've got to be in the family. It's not for everyone. You're invited to a homecoming Because you're family. If you're family, if you're in the family of God, you will be invited to this homecoming. But if not, you won't be there. You say, well, Pastor, how do I get into the family? How do I get into the family? Well, John tells us in John 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, but to all who did receive him, notice that word receive, who believed in his name, look at that word believed, he gave the right to be children of God. We'll stop right there. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you get in God's family? You've got to believe in him. You've got to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, I I believe the word faith, the word belief, carries two strong ideas. Number one, repentance. And repentance means that, man, I realize I'm a sinner and I deserve hell in every way. And I am sorry for my sin. 
And I don't want to live like that any longer. That's repentance. The other side is faith, and that is trust. Putting your total trust in Jesus Christ. You know, if I walked over this chair, you know, and I sat down, I had no doubt that this chair would hold me up. I trusted this chair to hold up my 200 and... I'm not going to tell you. I didn't test it out. I didn't shake it. I trusted it. And to trust Jesus Christ means that you rely upon Him and Him alone to get you to heaven. You you trust Him to take away your sins. You trust what He did on the cross for you to forgive your sins, past, present, and future. Let me ask you, have you believed in Him? If you have, you're in the family. If you haven't, you aren't. Let's pray together.